Hey, Jacqueline, how you doing? Aisha, welcome. Hey, you right? <coughs> Do you know about these tunes? Hey. Questions. I'm your host, Icy. Turn on questions with Irene Akabotai. And we're going to do this. Hey. Adrian, welcome. Shah, Hayden. Hey, hey, hey. DJ Wicked Ah, uh, thanks for tuning in, Shah <clears throat> Make sure today you don't just use part of the comment section That's your time, that's your space, that's your place, that's your home DJ I feel like a DJ for <laughs> Rongo, tell a friend. 21 questions. We got the sponsor then. Proper corn. We got proper corn. Natural ingredients. Low calorie. Your flavors. Later. <coughs> All right, one minute to go, we'll get started. <laughs> We got Shay, sit down member, family. We're live, DJ. Mm -hmm. 
All right, further ado, let's get into this. Yeah. Lower the music, Tim. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 21 Questions. I am your host, IC. Um, I am the host, I am the founder of The Sit Down. And The Sit Down is literally a live Q&A event that we do um, and kind of every three months before they locked us down, they won't let me out. Um, so yeah, we've kind of adapted that and we've put that onto this platform here. And this is 21 Questions where we welcome guests on and then interview them, ask them a whole load of questions within the allotted time. Each person gets one pass card, okay? Each guest gets one pass card where they can skip a question if they feel they don't want to answer it, okay? But if they don't use that pass card, they get a prize at the end. So I've got a prize here that Irene can win. Um, now, big up our sponsors, like I said. Proper mm -mm -mm, corn, they're my favourite popcorn. I just love this popcorn anyway, aside from it being a sponsor. But big up them for giving us a snack during the sessions and ting and ting. So, yeah. Um, cool, man. We're going to get straight into it, man. No time wasting. Um, I'm going to invite Irene on and we're going to get this cracker lacking. Hello, hello. Yes, hello, hello, hello. Gang, gang, gang. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Let me turn up the you volume. You're in the 90s at the moment. Uh -huh. <laughs> hello, Kuja. One, two. I'm just, actually, I'm just going to... Oh, that's that work. Okay. Microphone check, one, two. Oh, it's weird being at the okay, bottom. Yeah. I'm always at the top. <laughs> You're always at the top. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, man. Um, I was talking to... Um, Am I back in the building? Okay, to... let's go. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. I was talking to um, Grace yourself. Yeah, know. I can hear you now. Um, you can hear me now, yeah? Yeah, Crystal. You hear me? Okay, okay, cool. Um... But I really wanted to interview because I remember I did um, a sit-down interview with Grace Ladoja last year. Oh, cool. And I had to research, I had to research, 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 research her. And you two were just like peas in a pod. <laughs> and I saw Grace. I saw Irene. I saw, but I said, who is this? I'm you know, doing Grace at the moment. But I need to go and check the, who, who this is. And just, just looking at all that you've kind of achieved and all that you're doing, I've got a daughter. You know, one-year-old, little, little one-year-old. And for me, um, I... Hold on, let me get this thing off. Um, for me, as a man, being having a daughter has made me kind of realise how much male privilege I have. Yeah. As a man. So... Interesting. I, so for my daughter now, I'm always aware of, okay, what inspirations or who can I point her to? You know what I'm saying? Her mum is the first person. That's, that's mm. her role. That's the person I'll point to and say, look, go and check your mum. Okay. Go and, go and learn, have that as a role model first. Mm -hmm. But who can I point to outside in her community um, that are doing amazing things? And so now, in the period that we're in, mm. I, can, I can say, look, go and check out Grace Ladoja. Go and find out about that person. Go and be inspired. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Go and, go and yeah. look at Mel London. Go and look at an Irene at one time. Uh -huh, thank you. So I thought I want I really want to celebrate black women doing amazing things in and amongst my community. And you're someone who 
fits that perfectly. So thank you, thank you so much. So it's beautiful to. I'm, I'm so grateful that you would come on this platform and just. Oh, of course, thank you for oh, having me. No problem, no problem. So, 21 questions goes like this. Okay, <laughs> let's get it. In the hour, in about, yeah, about the hour that we've got, I've got up to 21 questions. Let's we'll see if we get through all of them. Okay. We have, we've got light work, okay. and then we've got deep dive. Okay. okay. And so, at any time, you have one pass card. Okay. One pass card where you can skip a question if you don't want to answer it. However, okay. if you do not skip, Irene, if you do not skip, <laughs> I have a prize right here. Oh, uh, sick. <laughs> win that prize, okay? I hope it's corona-free, this prize, though. <laughs> it's corona- no, it's, in fact, in fact, anyway, you'll see. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're going to just go, we're going to go straight into it. We're going to go light work, though. So, okay, cool. first question. Big up to everyone, first everyone that's joined us. Big up to you. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to 21 Questions. We're going to get straight into it. First question is, when are you the happiest? Uh, oh, wow. Interesting. Pre-COVID or post-COVID now? Oh. That's my question back to give me, you. Give me pre. Give me pre. Everything pre. Um, I think for me, um, pre, pre-COVID, when, was I the ha- when am I the happiest? Um, I think basic, I think working on projects with my friends, Okay. Um, getting to create like really amazing moments. Highland, um, get to create, get get an opportunity to create really, you know, foundation moments within the community, um, within my community, um, that solidify the culture that we've been raised in. Um, whether it be from, you know, um, the pre-Brits brunch with YouTube or Lang's in here working um, with Lang and and Wizkid on the pop-up shop. Um, so there's like. You know, I think for me, it's more just when I'm creating or whether that be working on TTYA. So, yeah, I think I'm the most happiest when I'm creating, if that answers the question. (laughs) And I remember, because I remember, I like that, because I remember you said in um, one of your TTYA talks that that's how you see yourself as a creative. Like, don't try and pigeonhole me. Like, I can lend my hand to this, I can lend my hand to that and give my all in every single one of them. But I can just give me, that creativity, that yeah. freedom, and I'll go. That's... And I saw that. I saw that most with, um, like, visibly with Wizkid's merch. Mm. Because when I saw that, I was like, "Hi!" <laughs> like, I, I love, I love um, um, graphics and art and everything. So seeing yes. just those designs, I was like, "Who, who did this?" And I never even knew who did it. And so when you mentioned about that in the pop up, I was like, "You know what? This is amazing because it just shows you that creative flair where you can bring." brands together culturally but artistically your creativity is shown in different ways as well so hats up hats up all right thank you um at the moment who's your favorite artist music artist yeah oh who's my favorite music artist oh that's a hard one you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah Oh, I don't know if I can answer that. I don't know if I have one person. No? No. Someone that you you always draw for. If I'm vibes in, though, if I'm vibes in, it's usually Mm. like house. So I wouldn't say necessarily an artist. It would be more of a mix. And if you've been following me on Insta Mm. through um, over lockdown, I love soulful Afro house. 
Um, so I play a lot of mixes by like DJs like Super D, Pioneer, like Teaser. Like I love like I like mixes more. I don't know. I, I lockdown's been hard because no one's really been coming out with that much music. So I don't yeah. really have anything that I'm drawing for at the moment. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's more just like mixes at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't know if no. that's, yeah, it's more mixes at the moment. If we're talking about right now, it's more mixes at the moment. And I don't have a favourite artist right now. Who And who would you point us to if you would say, this is the person, that that's this the person that mixes the best? DJ-wise? Yeah. Oh, that would be political, man. I book too many DJs, they'll be upset. <laughs> I can't say one person. <laughs> we are loud, we loud in for today. <laughs> All right. Um, what's your biggest regret? Ooh. Um, do you know what? I wouldn't even really say that I have any. Mm -hmm. In the sense of just that, um, I, I think I'm in a mature enough place to understand now that things that you may perceive as a regret was more of God's way of telling you that that wasn't for you. So yeah. I think in all honesty, I just kind of navigate now with that higher vibration mentality. Um, I don't really, I don't really have any right now. But I feel maybe if you'd asked me that when I was a little bit younger, I would probably yeah. be able to read it all off. But I think now you kind of, as you get a bit older, you understand that what's meant for you won't pass you. So you kind of navigate that way in vibrating and just knowing that you're going to attract the things that are meant for you. And if it doesn't necessarily happen for you straight away, most 90% of the time it's because it's not your time for it to happen. Yeah. You know? So I think that's where I'm kind of, um, I think that's kind of where my headspace is at, at the moment. So I'd have to say probably right, right. As of right now, I wouldn't think like that. Is there, is there a point where, is there a fine balance between it's not for me versus I have to fight for it? Um, yes and no. Yes and no, because I definitely feel like it is within the creative industries. And this is part of the reason why I started TTY and Talks a Podcast in the first place, because um, one was reach, but two was just like having a space where women can feel that they can come to and... Um, vocalize and ask the questions that they really want to ask because I think systematically when you look at it we've been engineered into or being pushed into more creative scope um creative scope um not creative sorry academic um careers and I think a lot of people um when you step into an industry that you're not necessarily 100% comfortable with or you're just new to it or you're not really understand how it all works you can kind of be led with fear so it's fear that you're kind of always stepping forward with so mm. with ttya talks it was almost as if like how do we bridge that gap let's just tell our experience give the real talk some of us have been sent to actually be the person that's going to be that one person in the room but is the person that's going to open the door so everyone else can come through and fuck it up you know so yeah. i feel like uh, um the baton I'm at the baton changing stage I'm at the change I'm at the stage now where I'm passing the batons to the next gen now to just come through and just fuck it up and I think that's the difference between um yeah I just yeah I think that's where that's where I'm at with with it now I think if that makes sense yeah, <laughs> no, no, that's good. I'm not um, for any of these questions so I'm a bit like whoa <laughs> throw me left right it. center that's how we do it. um Favourite food? Oh, jello fries. 
Facts. Just, just on its own. Now with more and more, all the trimmings, more and more plantain, <laughs> assorted meats. I, I gave up meat for the for the month of May, but yeah. when I'm back on my meat, assorted meats, all the full trimmings, coleslaw on the sides. <laughs> you know how we, you know how we do. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm Nigerian, but I love, I love Caribbean food more. Really interesting mm. trade off jokes. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the trimmings, all the trimmings. I guess because cause I always grew up with just a rice on the stove. Mm. I'm, t- I'm tired. Yeah. I'm tired. I hear the, the Jamaicans captured me. They got the Jamaicans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me, what's, a, what's your most favorite item in your wardrobe at the moment? Oh, in quarantine though. <laughs> quarantine, yeah, in quarantine. Quarantine, my most favorite. Oh, do you know what? I've actually mostly been in like cycling shorts and gym wear because yeah. I've been working out at home or running. Yeah. Um. So I'd say my gym kit at the moment. <laughs> is that going to continue? Is that going to? Has that always been? Is that going to continue? Yeah, that's always been. Like normally, yeah. if you follow, if people if people that follow me always normally see me. I normally do a thing called Barry's boot camp. Okay in the mornings and um obviously now with covid it's closed so i've been working out um one of my really good friends her name's kira london she does a workout in the mornings yeah so body by kira and um so there's about i think like two and a half thousand of us work out most mornings with her so yeah that's been really good um during covid and i've just been running and skipping um in the house so yeah that's been good so i would say workout gear at the moment cool um, what is, we're going to go deep dive, what's one of the hardest things you've had to go through on your own? Um, I think maybe dealing with or understanding now um, where kind of generational trauma and systematic trauma in place can hinder you more than it can push you forward. I think I think even when you see what's kind of going on in the media now as us as black people, when we really start to deep it and understand like where we what's been installed in us and understand that we're a product we're always an product a product of our environment. So whether that be like, you know, me being West African, me being Nigerian, having certain ideals, understanding certain traditions, like that's all stuff that's been pumped into me. And, you know, I think one of the most interesting things of when your parents kind of, you know, immigrate and move somewhere else is that you're born into a whole new type way of living, which is something that's very far away from what they're used to. So I think it was kind of finding, um, it's been interesting because I'd only say maybe in the last two years, I've been comfortable enough to understand like what my purpose is and finding my identity. And that's still something that's an onward and always consistently evolving journey, but finding my identity and understanding where I fit in because sometimes you feel like when you go home because I go to Nigeria quite a lot when you go home you're the western girl and when you're here it's like don't fit in here you're the you you know go you're Africa go back to where you came from you know so where do you fit in and I think there's a lot of us who are first gens who face similar you know traits and but the thing is the advantage that a lot of us do have over the Americans is that we're first gen they're like five, six, seven, eight, nine, tenth generation down the line, you know. So for them, it's just like identity is kind of a bit lost, if I'm really honest. And I think um, for for us, it's just understanding that what do you want to take from your tradition, but also how do you adapt that to make you you and not being a mould of someone else's rules and regulations. So I think that's an interesting concept when you start to deep it. That's deep, that's deep. Um, What would you then say 
Irene has been put on this earth to do? Um, I would say I've been probably, when I, de when I think about it, I would say I've been probably put on this earth to unite my community um, and actually give um, inspiration to show that you can. My mum got told I was getting no GCSEs, boy. I'm from South London. <laughs> what what part I was that? a little rat bag when I was younger, I'm not going to lie. So I think for me, I show that you can come from nothing and have something. And also, I think there's people who are put in positions that, you know, are there to be that barrier, to break down that barrier. And a lot of the conversations that I have are around race and are around gender equality and are around, you know, our culture. So I think sometimes it is, whether it be through TTYA, you know, being the first brand as a tall brand to be stocked in Selfridges, as a tall brand to open a whole new um, category on ASOS that didn't exist before, yes. you yes. know, and now is a multi-million pound sector for them. So sometimes it is about just being the first um, and, and actually only being the only one. But again, being at an opportunity where you can share your story and give tips at things that didn't really work or how you would maybe get from A to B a little bit quicker now if you have learned certain things and give that so that the next gen can kind of slide in a lot quicker and yeah. actually like make it so that there's more of us that can be seen. Because I think a lot of the time when we talk about creative or you know um, careers in a, in a, in a whole, um, there is you don't really see a lot of representation there isn't you know diversity became kind of like in the last one year like a buzzword, buzzword. in the creative industry where everything was oh we need to be more inclusive or we need to diversify but it's, it was always diversifying in the front of house not diversifying back of house you know so it's like if we're really going to start diversifying then we need to diversify inside out not outside in yeah you know so I think where we kind of are, it, have a responsibility is to have those conversations and, you know, see how we can monopolise our culture, but use it for our gain, you know? Yeah, 100%. I love that. I think, um, I can't remember, in, in the melee of everything that's been going on, I saw someone write something in particular about how, um, especially like you were talking about the culture, everyone else profits from black culture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they always say they love our music, they love our culture, but they don't love us. That's but it. <laughs> and I think, like you said, it's about us, you know, rallying together and using what we know is the culture mm -hmm. to then be able to benefit us. Yeah, where us being able to be recipients of it, you know, back in those countries where uh, whether it's coffee or whether it's rice is it, their thing, mm -hmm. they don't ever get to see it. It's the big corporations mm -hmm. that teeth it and then they give it to the world, but being able to own our culture, be in the key positions to own it and benefit the, pe the people below should be able to be, you know, benefit from it. Mm. One day we'll get there, man. We'll, kind of we'll get there. We'll get there when the systems change, though. The way that yeah. the systems are set up at the moment, and that's probably a whole other segment, yes. but the way that the systems are set up at the moment, the systems weren't designed for us. The systems weren't designed by us. So how can we profiteer or how can we push forward in a, in a system that is not set up for us to win? It doesn't, it, it's never going to make sense. You know, yeah. so until the laws start to change or until policies start to change or until we're in positions of real power, 
yeah. not just you know it's like they love our athletes when you look at the michael jordan you know documentary yeah, when, you, yeah. when you really deep that documentary and you look at the stands a majority he's selling out stadiums 20,000 yeah. 30,000 40,000 yeah. stadiums majority 90 percent of the people that were in those stadiums were white people yeah. so it's like if you think about michael jordan's magnitude you know it's except it's almost as if like they don't see color when it comes to athletes or they don't see color when it comes to artists or they don't see color when it comes to actors you know it's just like when it comes to celebrities sometimes they don't see color but again it's just like you can't you can't pick and copy and paste what you want and what you don't want you know so again it's it's there's there's so much to say i'm honestly we'll be on that all night to be honest <laughs> um i was watching last night i was watching i was going through your igtv i've been through everything um, <laughs> and i love um your lagos fashion week like behind the scenes oh thank you and it just, like what you said about barriers and breaking barriers, that, mm -hmm. for that to be your first catwalk, mm. being a Western, uh, uh, an African Westerner in a sense, mm -hmm. I would think, okay, I've got to do it in London. Mm. London Fashion Week has to be the place. Mm. But you doing it in Lagos, again, was a first and breaking mm -hmm. barrier. But it looks stressful. Oh, bro. It was so stressful. <laughs> it looks so stressful. <laughs> I wish to ask, like, it might be that situation, but when, give me a scenario, a time where you have felt the most pressure to, um, to perform, and how did you get through it? Yeah, it would be Lagos Fashion Week. That, yeah. was, that was another <laughs> level. That was another level. Because, you, again, it goes back to, like, they, don't, they still see you as a Westerner. So they think that you're privileged. They think that you've got all this money to spend. Mm -hmm. They think that, you know, like, you don't really understand that the hustle of you, like, putting your lot, saving, putting your, pouring your savings into your collection and, you know, all your family and friends flying out just to help you iron. Like, I had my friends, like, tying the laces on the trainers of the models, ironing, put, making sure that their hair and makeup was on point. Like, without my friends and my family on that trip, it would have been a mess for me you know so they don't you don't really see the bts but it was also one of the greatest experiences for for me and also taking my um my caribbean friends so like some two of my best friends are twins they came they've never been to nigeria before you know they came to nigeria and they absolutely loved it so again it's just welcoming people bringing them into your culture yeah. and, and and allowing them to to understand what it is and you know, try your food and be yeah. with my mom. And my mom took them to the market, and yeah. I didn't even go to the market. <laughs> they they went to the market with my yeah. mom, you know. But um, just it was so amazing to have them there. But Lego Fashion Week was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, and more because I was a bit more naive to how I thought it was gonna be. And you know, things now now I've done two. Like I did one um, the, the following year after, and I did a collaboration with Tokyo James, and we had Spinel and Rema walk on our catwalk show, and um, and it's the first time I've done any menswear and things like that. But you know, it was it only the second time I've done it. It was it was stressful, but not as stressful because you yeah. knew what to expect. Right. And I think going there and not knowing to expect, like now I look at back on it and I just think we were so brave, like to just pull up and then just by any means necessary, you gotta make it work. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's such a it's such a mad mentality. But then you also just have to just embrace that things don't always go the way you want them to go. And I would have daily breakdowns. I'm not gonna lie to you. You oh, know, gosh. whether it be us, we try to shoot. Uh, I try to shoot the lookbook. I did shoot the lookbook in the end in the bus station. Yeah, um, I love that. 
in the bus station but you know having to pay off the guy that runs the the gas st the bus station and you know like some of my clothing was a bit you know um transparent so you know that the muslim men in the in the bus station were not trying to have it so just oh, dealing with it was like every day there was something new to deal with or like our models wouldn't show up um when i got to the casting you know they were telling us oh you know what like part of doing the fashion week your models will be provided and my clothing line is for tall women so imagine me getting to nigeria and i'm do going i've done through <laughs> all the headache of getting all my product there all my footwear, these times I think I had 23 looks, so you've got to have 23 shoes for, for the models, but not just 23. I think you have like double because you don't know whose sizes are going to be what. You've got to bring extra. So imagine doing that and I get to the fitting and all my, um, and probably I think I used five out of all the models that they had, maybe 40 models, I took four. Yeah, four. I took four. So imagine in two days we had to we had to recast the whole show. So we had to try and find. We were finding girls on the street, girls in the club, anywhere <laughs> we could get girls. We were getting girls. Or if a tall girl came, would be like, oh, um, oh, Dahlia is in here. So Dahlia was the creative director behind that whole Thanks. time in Lagos, and um, you know. Just the stress she knows. If it wasn't for her, that show would have just been... I don't even think I would have shown. I would have just pulled it because it would have just been too much, to be honest. But we even went to, like, Lekki Conservatory, shot all the visuals, and then when we got there, they were saying on the day that we couldn't use the visuals, and then we had to just try and be like, we're using the visuals, you know? So, you know, there was so much that was stacked against us, but I think what prevailed was the sense of, you know, having people that really believed in the end goal with me um, because sometimes people can see it even if you can't see it for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really important on your journey. Like you might not always be able to see the light at the tunnel, but as long as you're riding with people who do, they're going to be the ones to pick you up and keep yeah. you moving, you know? 100%. So I think that was something that was really important at that time. Love that. Oh, <laughs> I, I just remember I was watching it and I was just, I just thought this is... This must have been a lot, but just like you said, I could see there were so many people around you. Mm. And even at the end, I think it was the, the girl that you mentioned, she, that she yeah. said, she, she, when she saw you backstage, she just cried. Yeah, so we were crying cried. backstage. We were crying. My mum came, and, and the thing is, my mum and dad are not together, and that's the first time that they've been in the same space, and I think over 15 years. So imagine they sat next to each other at the fashion week, <laughs> at the show. So all my family were there, my friends were there. Like, those of my friends had flown in from London wow. um, just to, for the show. And it just, it was just, it was so emotional because all of our, we were there for two weeks solid, you yeah. know, and it just showed that all our hard work had come. That, the next day, we were, we were like chilling at the pool when we were just a bit like, like, so what is it finished now yet <laughs> is that it like all of that stress but I think one thing I wish I had maybe done a little bit more was just enjoy the process when I look back on it now I just think we've done so much in a short amount of time from you know all of my product all my samples had some of my samples hadn't even arrived yet so I was waiting every time that someone would come from London they'll bring something extra with them a sample that was still in London getting finished you know so you know, we had to wait until we could shoot the lookbook and then we shot the lookbook. So imagine we've d shot a lookbook, we've done the show, you know, and then you're putting it all together and then you're feeding it to press 
Um, and then on top of that, I'm like having to put the whole um, mock-up together to send to the buyers with pricing, with all the retail pricing, so that you can now wholesale, like your, your collection is there to be sold. So then yeah. it doesn't stop there, you know? So it was just going, going, going. But I'm so proud Like ASOS did a 10-piece edit, which kind of went global and was amazing because, you know, we had so many, they helped on seeding it. And it was a big moment for them because they'd never, they'd tried to do ASOS Africa, but, you know, for them, it was like something that was really organic and had a natural story. Like, again, all the imagery was shot in Nigeria. Yeah. We casted the models. All of our models were black, you know. So it was something that was really monumental. All the crew was black. Everyone that worked on my team behind the scenes were black and they were women, you know. So just having that opportunity of from my assistant to creative director to models, like everyone just being strong and made incredible, like black women, BTS was just something that... I had never really seen before, um, from as in from beginning to end, everyone be, BTS being 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 a person of color, you know. And I think that was something that was actually really iconic. And going back to your original question, when you said why L Lagos maybe and maybe not London, I feel like it would have not made the same waves and not made yes. the same noise if I had done it here. Like I could have easily shot my you know lookbook in a studio, but I wanted to shoot it in L Lagos. I wanted it to storytell because. You know, I'd done something for ASOS in Lagos prior to that, but it didn't capture it the way I captured it. And I felt like that collection was so strong. I'd worked on it for six months and for it to kind of, you know, manifest the way it did. Um, and for me to be able to be able to employ and dictate my own narrative was something that was really important so imagine me pulling up to asos pulling up to this board meeting and being like here's my lookbook shot it in lagos <laughs> you know here's all the images here's everything that you need to push out for press here's everything that you need all done by an all black amazing female team yeah. by you know and then like celebrating and doing a party here and collaborating with them with, on that on 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 it with them was something that was really amazing so i think for me it's just always been able to cross culture and showing that okay my heritage might be this but i was brought up here but there's doesn't have to one doesn't have to be here and the other has yeah. to be here they can definitely cross over so i think that was something that was really important to me corruption talk corruption tour to the end <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned something about you having breakdowns and in the videos you did seem very uh kept together like it's hard but we're gonna get through it get through it and so i wanted to ask you what is what is the biggest one of the biggest misconceptions of irene that people have about you because i would just, i would just assume yeah irene she's got it don't even worry about it ain't nothing face irene she'll just get through but Oh, yeah. I think people that know me, they know I'm a bit of a crybaby. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't know if I should be admitting this on the live. <laughs> I'm a very sensitive person. Um, I, do you know what? I was talking about this the other day. Um, oh, Anthony's in here. Hi. Like, I was talking about this all, all, all the other day in the sense of just that. I think, if I'm really honest, I think the biggest misconception of me is that what you just said, that everybody, that I have everything put together. And I don't, like, I'm a human just as everybody else. And also, I think because I'm 5'11", everyone expects you to be, like, this tall, strong, intimidating yeah, character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, like, people who know me, they know, like, I'll give my last breath for someone. Like, I'm my mother's child, you know? Like, I would really, like, my mum will go to the ends of the earth for, for someone, you know, and I'm literally my mother's child. I'm the same. Like, if you need my help, I'll be there. If there's something that I can do to pattern, I'll pattern. Like, if there's something that we can work on together, we can work on it together. And I think that um, that's where a lot of 
um, my values come from. Like, I'm from Ends. I'm from Brixton, South London. Like, it doesn't get any any realer than that. I, I think you can take the girl out the Ends, but you can never take the Ends out of the girl. So I think, for me, I grew up, my mum worked two jobs, so I grew up on the roads. I grew up with my friends. And my friends are what gave me value. So I think loyalty and friendship is something that's so important to me because without my friends you know, I wouldn't have had guidance. When your mum works two jobs and she's out the majority of the day, you only have your friends to help you, um, to help you grow, you know? So I think for me, that's something that I take really personal, like personal relationships are so important to me. Like I hold them so dear to my chest, honestly. <laughs> who, who are the special people in your life? Um, my family. Um, my close circle of friends, I'm not going to lie, I work in a very, very superficial industry. So, you know, I've been burnt so many times because I came into the industry very naive. I came into the industry thinking everyone's buddies, everyone's chums. And, you know, I found out very quickly that that's not really the case. Um, and I'm not saying that that has anything negative. It's just you just have to kind of find your people's. And, 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 and put the energy out that you want to receive because if you put out what you want to receive then you're going to attract the right people anyway um, and I think for me I've always been blessed in the fact that I'm okay with being BTS I don't have to be at the front I'm good yeah. to you know work with this artist or be here or just sometimes I ain't even working I just want to go and have fun sometimes it is just about going to have fun you know yeah. like going flying all the way to Houston because I've never been before because I wanted to go to NASA because I'm a geek but Grace wanted to go to Travis so I was like well I want to go to NASA you want to go Travis let's do both let's just go Houston <laughs> go to NASA you could go and do Travis boom you know so I think just building your circles finding your crew and just pushing with your peoples I think that's the people that are kind of really special and close to me how important is um traveling you, you stayed you spent a couple of years in Australia. Oh in, gosh! In Asia. <laughs> um, how important was for you? For it, how important to you was you? Sorry, how important was it for you to do those type of things while you can? Um, super important. Again, and I think that went back to the fact that when my mom came here, she had to fight so long just to get her British citizenship, mm. um, <laughs> and we were lucky that we were born here, so we got it automatically. But I think what the red passport does entitle you to well i don't know what any it is anymore now that we've done brexit but that's <laughs> another conversation but what the red passport did it was your access key card to the world you know and i was just like my mom i, I think probably one of my mum's biggest regrets is that she didn't travel as much as she could have or utilized her red passport as much as she could have and i'm the opposite i was just like anywhere that i could go let's be going <laughs> you know <laughs> anywhere we can make it work let's be going and i'm always down to like um try new cultures and experience new things and and i'm and i'm good traveling by myself if no one wants to go i'm also good i can go on my own like i was in asia for almost almost a year you know um bouncing around my friends would come out in certain places and dip in and dip out but you know being at the great wall of china i just wish now that i had shared it with someone because maybe i would have had more um Maybe if you're born in the UK, your parent doesn't have citizenship. I'm oh, sorry, I'm just reading this. Oh, citizen is a red, even if you're both born in the UK. Um, yeah, I was born, so I had citizenship, but my mum, my mum did get hers um, eventually. But um, 
I think what it inspired me to do is to just rinse the red passport, basically. Yeah, Go me. anywhere that I could. We're lucky and blessed with our passport in a majority of countries. You, you need a visa. If you, even if you need a visa with a British passport, it's so easy. You can get visa on arrival or you can, you know, we just got so, we had so many, so much more privileges when you compare, like, when I look at my friends, I've got Nigerian passport. Hey, the stress that they have to go through to go anywhere is big. Or even, you know, I think with us, we were just lucky that your red passport is kind of like your golden ticket to travel. So yeah, for me, I was wanting to just do it as much as I can and just experience the world. And I just thought, if I've got nothing, if I don't do it now, when am I going to ever, ever do it? And yeah. I think going to, going when I went to Asia, I was just, I had just left ASOS and um, a friend of mine had got a really big buying job. She was a fashion buyer. And at that time, Australia was doing a lot of poaching from the UK. Like, come and work for us. They were literally paying like three times the salary. Wherever you get here, you could go to Australia. So a lot of the fashion buyers were like, wow, I can be on 100K and, and, and be in Australia chilling. Let me go and stay for a while and then come back. So, you know, my friend was like, well, I'm going to go to Australia, but maybe on the way to Australia, let's do, let's do a bit of Asia. So I was like, sick, let's do it. So we went to Thailand, we went to Bali, um, and then she went on to Australia. Then I went and did China, Hong Kong, all of that jazz. And then I went to meet her in Australia. And I didn't last very long in Australia. I'm not going to lie. I just didn't. I, I just think, I don't think that they're racist. I just think that they're very ignorant people. And I think for me, being, again, a 5 foot 11 black woman, I just didn't feel like I could fit in there. It just didn't really align with my spirit. Um, and by that time, I'd been away from London. Like Australia was kind of my last stop, but I'd been away from London for so long. I was kind of homesick. My sister had my nephew. I just wanted to be at home, to be honest. And um, yeah, but I've just been so blessed, even with work, like it takes me around the world and I get to meet so many people and make friends globally. And I think that's where the difference is, whether it was me interning in Complex, you know, how many years ago now that I moved to New York and I impl uh, it, like interned at Complex, but interning at Complex, now, you know, one of my mentors was my, was the fashion editor at Complex at the time. And now, you know, working on shoots on like the Kanye covers to, you know, um, and just getting editorial, but the editorial is what got me my job at ASOS. So it's like everything kind of happens for a reason and everything was that, that, that next step to let you get on the ladder to the next step. So I don't know, life is just a, for me a bit of a game of snakes and ladders. You're just manoeuvring your way through and trying to make it work, but having the best time nice. simultaneously. <laughs> um, you mentioned your, um, actually hold on, before I ask this question, I did ask, um, people to give in their own questions and there was a question from Cass X UK um, she said how confident were you in starting your own brand your own line so TTYA I was very group? confident in it because I think TTYA was something that was definitely needed at the time um, there was a massive massive gap in the market when I went traveling that's when I really began to get super frustrated because I used to look, and I'm not gonna lie to you guys, when you go to Asia and you, you're around people who are traveling around and stuff, there isn't really that many black people. And 
I'm going to be honest, I struggled because I found that for me to be able to maneuver and move quickly, I needed my bags to be light. So I just wanted basics, you know, a couple of tees, maybe a long sleeve when it gets chilly at night, a long sleeve jumper, a couple of leggings, a maxi skirt, just all your essentials. And I just remember how hard it was being tall and just finding all your essentials. And I just used to get so frustrated. And I think when I was traveling more, um, that's when it really started to get on my nerves because I just thought, I don't want to be carrying around layers and layers of stuff. Yeah. I just want to have one case and be on the go or one bag and be on the go. And I remember my last stop, I had come back to London after Australia actually. And then I went to New York and I was sitting in my friend's apartment and she was just like, what do you want to do? And I was just like, but you know what? I just want to make clothes that fit people like me. Like, I'm just annoyed. And she was just like, well, do it then. <laughs> and then that was it. We did it, you know? And um, she's an incredible artist. Her name's Lena Victor. If you haven't heard of her, definitely go and check her out on Insta. Um, she makes artwork a lot of her artwork is based around i believe 21 karat gold um but she did my first she did my first all the graphics for my first lookbook i shot my whole lookbook in black and white um and yeah i think for me it was just i knew what i wanted because i was tall and for once it was actually making stuff for um for girls like me by me so yeah. it wasn't really rocket science to be honest yeah. And there was other brands out there that were doing stuff at the time, but I just didn't feel like they 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 kind of catered to the forward thinking. They weren't on trend. They weren't youthful enough. Um, and I just felt like I just want base. I just want wardrobe essentials. So I'm just what I'm gonna make what I need. And so it was pretty straightforward. Knowing what I wanted to make, it was another thing finding um, finding suppliers. But that that's a whole another that's a whole another ball game. <laughs> I love what you said about um, there's already people doing it. But mm. there's a Drake lyric, I love it, and he says, um, it's not about who did it first, it's about who does it right. Mm. <laughs> can, I, can we preach now? Correct, louder for it's the people that are back. <laughs> but even if there's, there's, there's a plethora of like, ideas that are already out there, similar, but what can you put on it that makes it different? Like, what, yeah. what is in you, what uniqueness do you have in yourself that mm -hmm. you can inject into it that makes it different from everyone else? And I think mm -hmm. with you, um, the concept, the idea of let's make clothes for tall women, that's one element. But you as a person and the personality you bring to it, it mm -hmm. makes it come alive. Your culture, you. <laughs> mix that in the pot, it makes it come alive. Your experience, you. it makes it come alive. So, you know, for, you know big up to Cass um, at UK who asked that question. But Thank you, Cass. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing where whatever your idea is, don't leave yourself at the door. Bring everything your culture, your experience, bring that with you into yeah. it and watch it flourish. Watch it flourish. All right, what's the time in the Rolex? All right, so 40, okay, all right. Time is moving fast, all right. I wanted to ask you, because uh, time is talking, um, what's the most impactful conversation that you've ever had? Now, to give you some context, I had a conversation when I was about 15, with someone who was like a mentor in my church. And he was a good friend of mine, just a good, good friend. And he just said one line. He said, like, make sure when you die, it matters that you live. Mm. When you die, make sure it matters that you live. Mm. And for some reason, for, I'm 30, I'm 38. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, throughout my all these years that have stuck with me, it's driven everything I'm doing. When I die, is it gonna is it gonna matter that I live? What have I put on this earth mm. that's gonna make my funeral packed? 
Because my funeral is going to be... <laughs> it's going to be lit, yeah. It's going to be lit. Because I'm, I'm pouring everything I am and everything I can pouring it on this earth. That conversation that just stuck with me. So stuck with me. So what conversation have you had with someone, a friend, family member, um, that has really had a massive impact on your life? Um, I think if I'm honest, it's something similar to what you said. Like I get asked quite a lot, not necessarily just by one person specifically, but I always get asked a lot, especially in interviews actually, what would you want your legacy to be? Um, mm. And I think it kind of goes back to a question that you asked earlier in that like, you know, what is what is my purpose? Because yeah. I don't think my purpose was just here to make clothes for tall women. I think my purpose <laughs> has been a lot, is, is, is kind of been always pioneering and always kind of being at the forefront um, and, 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 and having those uncomfortable conversations or doing when people say that you can't do it, you do it, you know, and, you know, showing, leading by example and being the change in my community that I want to see, to be honest, I think. That's that. That's I think that's something that's always stuck. That's stuck with me more and more, and especially the older that I get, is what are you leaving behind. What is your legacy going to be, and what do you want people to say about you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. What do you think people will say about you? That I'm going to be the example in my community that I want to see. Yeah. It was right. an example in her community that she wanted to see change. Mm. Come no. on. <laughs> <laughs> um, lastly, then, what is your um, favorite? Uh, motto or quote that you kind of live by? Um, don't cry, don't beg. <laughs> <laughs> what, is that? what does that mean? Don't cry, don't beg. Uh, <laughs> if I even start to tell you where that came from, it's too mad. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, Cheaters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, when they follow the partner and they, <laughs> Dan is laughing, when they follow the partner around, and yeah. they catch them cheating. There's an episode of a Nigerian man. Oh, uh, Nigerian cheaters is so mad. So basically, when his when his wife catches him out, or when his girlfriend catches him cheating, <laughs> he says to her, "Don't cry, don't beg. It's all over, Jackie." So that is my <laughs> motto in life: Don't cry, don't beg. Keep it pushing. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. It's another way of saying keeping it moving. Keep it moving. Don't cry, don't beg. It's all don't over, Jackie. <laughs> all right, love it. We've got um, we've got about ten minutes on the clock. I want to. Everyone that's listening, I want to um, throw it over to you. So we've got about, I'd say about one slash two questions that we can take. Mm -hmm. So if you have a question, I want you to throw it in the comment section uh, right now. So far, Irene has not used one pass card. <laughs> we still did, you didn't use one pass card. They've been good questions. Good. Say again? They've been good questions. Oh, good, good, good. So <laughs> you've got one or two questions to skip still. So if you have a question, on this live, you've been watching, type it in the comment section now. This is your opportunity. If not, I will take my place for my last question. <laughs> All right. Let's see anything. Big up everyone that's in here today. Zakiza, Emily, Jacqueline, Nicola, Cass. Oh, hi, Jacqueline. Uh, who else have we got? Bree, that's my sister. Uh, Dahlia. Mm -mm. Abs. Kill. All right, y'all ain't got no questions. I've got a question. Okay. Okay, go. <laughs> you spoke about your um, nephew. Mm -hmm. um, what type of parent do you hope to be? And what would you teach them, your child? Um, if you choose to. I hope to be a trauma-free parent. 
hope to be a trauma-free parent. I hope that by then, by the time I have kids, I would have dealt with, um, I'm still a work in progress, but I would have dealt with the things that systematically I feel like oppress us and we pass on to our kids without without necessarily always realising. Um, and I feel like that's a whole, probably a whole nother life, but systematic and generational trauma is something that mm -hmm. is something that really weighs heavy on my heart and um i think for you to be the best person version of yourself that you can be that's freeing yourself and unlearning all of the bad things that you've picked up unintentionally because your parents have done the best that they can they can do with what they've yeah. been taught so you know not 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 to put not to to do the blame game they've done the best with what they were taught, but it's for you to un to unlearn those things and to be the best version of yourself that you can be. So I hope that for me, when I I have kids, that I will be trauma-free. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm not screaming, go and bring me the remote! I'm <laughs> joking. <laughs> 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 you, know, you know when you get there, do you know where the remote is? <laughs> by their hand next to them, next to them. <laughs> Irene I want to say a massive thank you oh, no problem thank you thank you thank for asking you. me I appreciate you <laughs> um, you made it through no pass cards <laughs> and as a result this is your prize are you ready uh, someone asked know. a question what's oh. been the biggest obstacle you have faced in your career thus far um, career one of the biggest obstacles I think I think sometimes career, I'll do career because it's, it's, it's probably the one that people will be more interested in. But I think one of the biggest obstacles, again, is being in an industry, being incorporated into a system that hasn't been designed for us to win. So we're constantly, you know, um, in a structure now where you, we haven't always necessarily been taught to understand business. And when you're going into these structures that have, Mm. you know systematically it been in place in a way that um it's business you know grace says to me all the time what's the business because you know you know you get past the point of you don't just do things because it looks a certain way or you want to align with certain people ah. what it stopped for a second what did you just say you oh said, sorry i think i would always my advice will always be to ask what what's the business behind anything your idea anything that you want to do um and that's something that grace has installed in me i'm not going to lie to you she's always like sis what's the business there <laughs> what is the business because once you know what the business is and what your objectives are it becomes very clear because sometimes you can always be involved or rolling in other people's plan and yeah. not realizing that you know you're not actually filling your own plan or you're not necessarily achieving what you can achieve because you're too you're 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 interested in how things look or social media or i just need to be seen at this party why like you know yeah. what's there for you so <laughs> i think it's always having a plan um and i think one of the obstacles was at the beginning of ttya i wish i understood more of the business of fashion i had a really great idea in the sense of just i wanted to you know make products for tall girls but it's a business at the end of the day. And, you know, if I understood the business a little bit more, I probably would have made less mistakes and I would have been in a position where I could have, I would have not been 
knee-jerk reacting because I would have anticipated for things that happened, you know? I didn't anticipate for my brand taking off. I didn't anticipate, you know, I wanted, I knew the stores I wanted to get in, but I didn't anticipate what, it, my team was so small, you're just jumping from one thing to the next. So you get into Selfridges, but you need to be marketing it constantly, constantly, you know? Selfridges is not gonna help you market your brand. Your you're feeding into their plan. You're in that building to help you build your your strategy of, you know, being at the top. Because obviously that's quite a premium place to be. So your but selfages are not gonna help with numbers. Selfages will buy maybe fifty units of one style, whereas ASOS might buy eight hundred units. So there's a big difference there, you know. So, you know, understanding the actual business of your margins, you know, I wish I really understood the back end when I started a lot more and I think it would have just helped me make a bit more um, forward focusing and I just would have been ahead one step ahead rather than feeling like I was a hamster just going with the flow on how things happened. Oh, people are coming with questions now. What's Jackie saying? <laughs> Jackie said, um, did you have did any barriers to entry when starting a tall brand? A few years ago, tall fashion wasn't a thing and people still don't get it. So were there any barriers in terms of that yeah, no, people didn't get it when I was pitching it. People didn't get it. Like, when I went into my buying meeting at Selfridges, they were like, what, tall people really can't buy clothes? Is it really a thing? And I was like, it's really a thing, you know? But again, it's just, it's not their fault. It's just what you're, what you're susceptible to. You know what you see. Visually, what you, what you take in is what you know, you know? So I think um, at the beginning, if you think, I remember I started TTY in 2013. So that's a, that was seven years ago now. So it's tall fashion now then wasn't what it is now and i think i'm gonna blow my own too i definitely feel like i was responsible for where it is now if mm. i'm gonna be honest because no one gave a shit then no one didn't care about it at all there weren't no boohoo there weren't no misguided there weren't no there weren't nothing there weren't it there weren't even asos tool then you know so you know i think i did open up that lane um for tall fashion i just wish that it had been in the way i wanted it to be and again I'm not ASOS, I'm not those bigger companies. So again, what all they do is when they see that something's working, they just replicate it and they've got the machine to turn it a lot faster yeah. than you do. But I think one thing that they not, haven't been able to do is that I'm still I'm my, the face of my brand. I still represent my brand. My brand is what I want it to be. So yeah, it can be fashion one day, but it can be the podcast another day or it could yeah. be the panel another day or it could yeah. be a launch party for the supper club the next day. So my brand isn't, cohesive into one thing it's a lifestyle brand you know and that's one thing that i feel like is my unique selling point is what it differentiates me from the other brands um and i think that is something that is always gonna be something in business that you need to determine like what's your unique selling point what's yeah, gonna just what's yeah, gonna make you change because people are gonna come people are gonna say just like you said i wasn't the first to come there were other brands that was out there but for me i was like i want to do wardrobe staples then it was like okay things were selling out okay cool let me do like going out where let me start doing stuff that you could wear to weddings let me start doing you know and the bigger the categories get you know, people always ask me, oh, why don't you do leather jackets? Why don't you do television? Why don't you do this? And what they don't understand is that your margins there are so small. Yeah. Like to do a leather jacket costs you almost as much as it is to sell it. So yeah. unless you're making it in large quantities, like thousands, sometimes if you're a small business, you need to understand that for you to be able to do mass, you either need to have it as a sister brand because my price point was also at a certain level. So I didn't really want to compromise my price point because, you know, all, and quality 
over quantity, you know? So I think you just have to figure out where you fit in and what you want your brand identity to be. And then you kind of just go from there, really. Yeah. Someone said I had a question. Scroll up. Uh, we have one minute to remain in. Oh, no, it's fine. Oh, right, shit. What... Is it because it's an hour? Does it cut out? Yeah. Um... All right, what we'll do... Uh, we'll do uh, 15 minutes because I'll put my baby to bed. Uh, we'll do 15 yeah. minutes of questioning. So we're going to end this one and do 15 okay. minutes of questions. Is that cool? Okay, cool. Yeah, that's fine, of course. Sure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, 21 questions sounds like it's 28 <laughs> questions. Catch us on part two very quickly. All right, bring your questions. Let's do questions. I don't mind doing questions. Let's go. <laughs>